Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And welcome into more outdoors. Uh, this segment we call Flyways Foul Mouth Radio, a presentation by Walker Ram of Alexandria and uh, in, in conjunction with the Flyway Federation. Martha, we've got members joining us, Josh Goins, Ronnie Doucette, and Jeff Foyles, and the purpose of this program is to talk about the state of waterfowl in this nation. Really, it's a it's a continental species. It's managed on a national and even a, a continental basis. And over the last several years, the trend has been downward for Louisiana and many other southern states. It's actually causing some alarm, and and I've been calling it a crisis. Looking at the numbers, we're getting some of the lowest numbers that have ever been recorded, and it doesn't seem to be uh, any turnaround in it. There's been a lot of reasons for it, and a lot of these reasons are, are just part of the big problem. Some we can control, some we can't. And the Flyway Federation has stepped up and to become one of the conservation organizations with the concern for, for the hunter's perspective and point of view. Could, could I ask a question before we jump right in that could kind of help really lead into this? I've only been in Louisiana for five years. I've been duck hunting for three years. As somebody that's relatively new to the sport, when would all of you say that the decline began and when did it become noticeably considered a crisis? All right, we've all got different opinions. Let me introduce our guest, Josh Goins, who's a co-host of this program. Josh, you with us? Yes. Good. Okay, also Ronnie Doucette. Ronnie, you there? Yeah, Don, I'm here. And Jeff Falls. Yes, sir. All right. right Gentlemen, uh, Martha posed a a very interesting question, someone that's fairly new to, to waterfowl hunting. Uh, she's seeing it now for just the first last few years, so she doesn't draw back on, in some cases like me, 30 years ago to the present time. So if we would, let's start with you, Josh, and, and, and give your best response to Martha's question. Um, I would say I, I've been hunting since late 80, late 80s, early 90s, and I can remember the skies being full all through the 90s. But right there at 2001, 2002 was whenever we started falling off. And then 2008, it really started falling off. Well, what do you think, Ronnie? Well, I, I, I was fortunate enough that I was I didn't really start seeing any kind of real hiccup till about 06, 07 the first time I saw that. You know, we we just weren't holding the birds that we had in the past. Uh, but the first thing, I want to tell her, I apologize to her that she's only been able to hunt in Louisiana for the last three years. Because, uh, hey, better late than never, right? <laughs> yes, ma'am. It's hard to believe that you even go anymore. <laughs> but uh, thank, I thank you for that. Uh, it's uh, I would say the really where we've really seen the, the biggest, uh, I guess you'd say tailspin, is the last last five or six is when it's really to me it just it keeps uh accelerating every year the decline and jeff yes sir 
Well, I have I haven't hunted the state of Louisiana for since probably two thousand. Um, I have a lot of friends there that hunt in that area and all that, and um, you know, and I know since about two thousand or so, it has really went down. You know, I mean, that when I was there, I hunted the West Monroe area. Uh, in fact, I did for two or three years, and uh, it was a, it was really really good at the time. But uh, the boys said it was all declining. Uh, after talking to the Robinsons down there, I knew that you know the trouble. We talk a lot about filming and stuff at the and you know back when we were all filming and and making DVDs. And uh, I know I'd see them at the shows, and they were having to travel and whatever to get the ducks because they just weren't there anymore, you know. And I thought the uh, um, you know I've watched just what's happened, you know, with the ducks stopping. It's kind of like the geese stopping in Illinois. Southern Illinois used to be the, you know, the mecca, the capital of the world for for uh, for Canadian geese, and uh, you know, I've, I've guided down there for years, and just had a ball down there, and you can't even get a goose to go down there anymore. So I see what happens, and uh, they're they're getting short stopped up south of Wisconsin and northern northern above Illinois, above Chicago, for a lot of different reasons. But the ducks, I've been seeing watching this them getting short stopped up in this area for years from you guys. All right, so what does the best science and data show? Does it reflect what we're also talking about? I've actually noticed the really bad. I'm with you, Ronnie. I would say the last five or six years. But I've noticed this trend for even longer than that, maybe going back as far as 20 years. And, you know, a lot of the blame goes to the weather conditions. We don't get the cold fronts. Uh, we don't get the hard freezes. Uh, a lot of it is habitat deterioration. We get wet winters. But I can recall... Uh, hunting some Novembers and even Decembers in 75-degree weather, wearing short sleeve camel shirts and, and killing a lot of ducks because they were here. So, you know, what is it scientifically or the data that's showing that, that you know, is the result of this trend that we're seeing? What is the, the – and I don't know if it's that we can actually pinpoint the exact degree to which each of these factors contributes. Can um, Josh would be – can I answer this? Yes. Can I give some input on this? Um, Don, I, I kind of, uh, I'm fortunate. I live in southwest Louisiana. I hunt just south of uh, uh, Sabine National Wildlife Refuge, which is the largest waterfowl refuge in the country. Historically, uh, you know, held, I'd say, probably 25% of the birds in, in our area um, that doesn't hold birds anymore. Um, I'm bordered by a 20,000 acre uh, private property that <clears throat> they hunt very, very, very sparingly, uh, hunt three blinds, maybe three days a week on it. Um, and the birds aren't there. So I realize we're talking about habitat, uh, the shape of our habitat, but we have areas that are, have very little pressure, um, areas that have all the conditions, the some of the best conditions they've been that I've seen in my lifetime, uh, 55 years old, some of the best conditions I've seen since I was uh, a teenager as far as the uh, marshes, and there's no birds in them. This year we had low water, which is what we as duck hunters always pray for. North wind blow water out, uh, gets the grass exposed, they get to the invertebrates, our teals show up, our grays show up, our pintails, and um, that just doesn't happen anymore. I'm, I, it just, there's nothing the rice fields, the good rice fields that that uh, have very little pressure, they're set aside. Even the refuge, uh, Cameron Prairie Refuge, which is on the uh, 
east side, south of Lake Charles. Uh, they've got some areas set aside that no pressure on it. The White Lake Preserve, which everybody knows White Lake here in Louisiana, um, they're not they're not holding birds anymore. So I, I do understand it's we, we keep blaming it on the conditions of the area, but I, I don't really totally buy into that. I've seen that we have actually less pressure and better conditions in a lot of our areas in the coastal region of Louisiana. Uh, speaking of Cameron Parish, that has been historically the hotbed for Louisiana for killing waterfowl. And uh, you talk about weather. I went up to Jeff's part of the country here in December, uh, made a three-day mallard hunt, Canada goose hunt up in Kansas, uh, mid-December. I think the dates were somewhere around 11, 12, 13, something along those lines. When we got there, the weather was it was 18 degrees, a cold front hit. The three days we were there, it never got above 22. It got down to as cold as 11. How cold does it have to get now for a duck to migrate? We keep saying that it's the weather, it's this, it's that. 11 degrees for three or four days and the ducks don't move south. I don't. I honestly don't ever remember that happening. I don't think nature intended to be that way. All right, this is a good place to take a break. When we come back, I want to talk about the uh, what you gentlemen see and hear as far as the impact of uh, uh, changes that was done in the migratory game bird laws, which allows the flooding of unharvested crops. How extensive is it? Do we know? Can we quantify its impact? I don't think anyone, there's a very few people uh, down south that will disagree and say, oh, no, we, we still have good hunts here. But for the most part, the overwhelming number of duck hunters, at least that I've heard from, you guys have heard from, that have responded to the Flyway Federation that show up at commission meetings, uh, have expressed the opinion there is a concern. And even the numbers bear it out. We've had some of the worst seasons in history trying to find out exactly why and what can be done about it. And that's another point that we're going to talk about a little later on. Why is there no alarm? Why is there no immediate action to address this? Is there nothing we can do? Do we just sit back and lose our waterfowl hunting heritage here in Louisiana and other states? I hope not. We'll be right back. You're listening to the Flyway Federation's Foul Mouth Radio on More Outdoors. And we would like to hear from you what you've seen this season, uh, what you think a remedy might be to an alarming trend that the waterfowl hunting in Louisiana and many other states is dropping off. Uh, guys, we, we, we're going to cut to the chase here and talk about the flooding of unharvested crops. This was a change that was brought about and according to a lot of the data that you guys have presented and that I've seen, it, it parallels pretty much the decline of the waterfowl migration along with the increase in the amount of acreage of flooded, unharvested crops. Uh, I guess either Josh or Ronnie, uh, tell us, uh, you know, what the stats are showing on that right now. Uh, Don, I, I'd like to pick up on this. It's one thing that me and Ronnie have discussed, and even uh, Jeff can verify everything is the fact that all these birds everyone pushes this these harvest numbers to us the harvest numbers are some of the most flawed numbers that we have out of this whole system but the bird is not the harvest numbers that we need to be focused on all these guys up there saying oh we're not killing either it's not the birds that they're harvesting in that area that we're worried about it's the birds that they're holding in these areas that they're that we need to be worried about on the surveys, it, it, would you say that's correct, Jeff? Yeah, I mean it's. 
I think it's just a ploy and to get and to cut through the chase. You know that the people that want the flooded crops and all that, to, um, you know, and all to hold their ducks is the guys that have the money to do so. You know, and it's uh, I've had this. I mean, I've had. 85 to 100 acres of the best corn ever flooded right to the ears, built a place for that. Uh, I've, I've sowed millet and grown it and flooded it for uh, years. I even used to make a product called straight bait that had millet and milo and all this and sold it in five-gallon buckets, you know, for this, you know, to plant it and flood it and all that. And uh, I, so I've been involved in this, and, I, and the cost of doing it is just unbelievable, you know. So it's a money game. And where I'm sitting, sitting is probably and i travel over the country i started in new york this year in michigan went to michigan uh back down here arkansas two different sp- each side of arkansas kansas nebraska been all over this year and a lot of course a lot of times right here in illinois missouri which i'm right on the line and what most people out there don't realize is the the number of acres in illinois and mostly missouri that are solid flooded corn mostly corn um, this year, things were different. Um, a lot of things changed from the past year. So it was a really good comparison for me. We had the big flood up here, uh, last spring and summer and it broke levees everywhere. I'm sure you all seen it on the news. It broke them in Missouri and the Mississippi and Illinois river were out. I fought the flood the whole time and watched this take over thousands upon thousands of acres of you know farm ground and all these duck clubs down this missouri josh and i talked about it <clears throat> always say there's 55 or 60 in all actuality there's about 90 miles of, of flooded corn along the mississippi and none of that got planted in corn this year i mean it was very 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 few of any of these places that the levees held and they got to keep the corn so what they did was they had the, they flew in millet and flooded millet and uh, which holds ducks for a while up here. As soon as the freeze get it, fall, it gets frost, get it falls over, and it's kind of done. Or they eat it out real fast, or the blackbirds do. So that barely did any good. So what happened this year? Well, let's just go back a year, and and what happens most of normal years? These these hundred or miles of miles and miles of flooded corn. There's many many refuges in between that holds a lot of ducks, and these ducks go to the corn about 5 o'clock at night, spend the night there. They roost there all night, and they sit there in their little buffet, their safe zone, and at 3.30 in the morning, they know that at 5, the hunters are going to come out, and at 3.30 in the morning, they're back in the refuge. I sit there and watch this every, every year. The only thing that will change them is, is rain, wind, snow, ice, anything that will make them get up and move. So let's go back a year to last year, what happened. We got a freeze about Right around Thanksgiving time, I'm not, you know, I don't know the certain date, and I and I hunt on on the Mississippi River a lot, right out there on it. The water was up, the water was high, but we got a hard freeze. So those ducks, what they'll do is at refuge, they'll come out of those refuges and they'll set on the river in the back sloughs and that. They were packed on there. Everything was froze. There was enough of these duck holes, duck uh, flooded corn holes that were open with aerators, you know, keeping the water open and water pumps running, that that's where they, they fogged in at night and fed. And we had, when they come out of that refuge, of course, we killed them on the river for about 10 days real good until it thawed out. As soon as it thawed out, right back to their same pattern that they're always on. So we had a freeze, and they stayed. So where you were talking about the, the, the weather changing and where it was 11 degrees in Kansas, if they've got these flooded crops, they're not going to leave. They know 
that weather better than a weatherman does. They know what's getting ready to happen. They know what's going to warm up their stand because the food's there, the safety's there, and they can survive it. Now let's fast forward to this year. This year, those 55 to 90 miles did not get planted in corn, flooded up to the ears where they had all these crops. So when the ducks come down and migrate, we had about three weeks, the first three weeks, we come in the end of October, and right before Thanksgiving all the way up to there, we had a really, really good hunting. I saw state uh, areas uh, where there's draw blind allocations for two to three years where guys had their blind there that hadn't killed ducks in two or three years, and because the ducks don't get out of the refuge, this year they all, they all killed ducks. They had a phenomenal first three weeks. We did, too. The birds would get out in the morning. Uh, they'd come out of the refuge. they have to go feed. They'd go back for water. You'd kill them both different ways, and the birds were moving and doing what they're supposed to do while they were here. So here comes, as, and we get a slow migration. They just start filtering through in October and work all the way through the end of November, So and sometimes into December. This year, after that three weeks there, we got a freeze. Like, I'm talking a quarter to a half inch ice is all. Wasn't bad. And it only lasted about three days. And in that three days, I sat there on that river and watched the ducks pour down that river, V'd up high, high as I've ever seen them, and they were following the river. And I just looked at my, my boy and my buddies. I said, we're never going to see those ducks. Where usually they'd come down in the bank, right in the refuge, you know, or right in the river because they know the corn there. They saw the ice. They saw no corn. They went straight down south of us. And the next day, I called my buddy in northeast Arkansas, and he said they just piled in here the last three days. So they had ducks, had the best season they've had. The weather stayed pretty mild down there, and they held the ducks all year. I talked to him yesterday. He's most phenomenal. I just looked at this morning. He posted on Snapchat. I had a picture of a pile of ducks yesterday, best season they've had in years. So, and last year, they had no ducks. He didn't kill anything. And why is this? They migrated. They went right past the ice. They didn't have no flooded corn. They went. And if you don't think the birds didn't migrate, I mean, we have 40 ducks in the refuge right now. I mean, they went right on past us. So if people don't think this flooded crops changes things and does make them migrate, they can look all these numbers up, and I see these guys, and the guys that have flooded corn are trying, they're reaching and grasping at every straw. And I get it. I see why. They don't want to lose it. But we as hunters have got to do something because we're changing what Mother Nature, what God give us here. You know, that bird's supposed to migrate. When he stops, he's supposed to stop and rest and eat and stay at that place until, you know, and move around until and migrate and go feed until he's out of food or it freezes and he goes south and just keeps going down south. That's what. That's how God made these, you know, and we've manipulated that to the point to where on a normal year without the flooding and not all this, we've changed it. You know, we have totally changed this whole path. And a lot of the reason I don't think this is a one-year deal, like you said, your duck hunting one was good. Why didn't they migrate? You're not going to change this overnight. It took years for us to screw them up. We got to figure, they got to figure out how to migrate. You think how many years it's been since a major flood that that's happened, and how many years all through Missouri, up through here, Illinois, Arkansas, and it grows every year. There's more duck clubs being built. And, you know, well, why didn't this happen 20 years? Because there wasn't this many miles and miles of corn and all that. They figured it out. Some guys say it's pressure. 
loves pressure. Well, those duck clubs, yeah, I agree with that. Those duck clubs that's got the corn in them are getting more hunters day after day after day. They're buying up more ground, flooding more corn, and that's happening through the country now. People's got caught on. So, you know, like I told a uh, federal warden one time, he told me you're baiting. I said, I'm legally baiting. As long as you let me bait, I'm going to, you know. But And they said, well, why would you pour why would anybody want to put corn in the bait when you've got a stalk holding it right at the water? It's the best baiting system there is. So I don't know. I don't get it. And, 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 and there's guys I know all the way down as far as Tennessee and that that will argue the same point. But, again, if you all you have to do is tap on their profile, look where they hunt, see their hunting pictures, and they're all either hunting, they're all either hunting flooded corn, flooded beans, flooded rice, flooded uh, you know, something manipulated like that, you know, so I don't know. And I can't believe the federal system we have and as the way the game wardens are and all this about it. And so into this, why this has not turned out to be a legal baiting system. And we've done something about it. All right. We're going to take a break. We'll come back. That'll be the next issue we'll explore. What has been the reaction of U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service to our major conservation organizations who have hunters at the, at the forefront of their organization that supports them? What has been their reaction when this information has been presented to them? We'll be right back. You're listening to Foul Mouth Radio with the Flyway Federation. Our guests are Jeff Falls, who you just heard, Josh Goins with the Flyway Federation, Ronnie Doucette. I'm Don Dubuque along with Martha Spencer. If you'd like to send us a text message, it's 870-870 or call us at 504-260-6368. We'll be right back after this time out. Martha, if you would, explain what you are just talking about off the air, about how you see this as far as invasive species versus what I guess we could call captive, captive species. Well, it just gets me thinking uh, – about all the things that we see that have created problems because they're not supposed to be there. So, for instance, different species of carps invading the river systems and, and the problems that they're causing economically and in the ecosystem. But economically speaking, I think that there is a moral problem with moving these ducks, you know, as you said, manipulating their patterns for our personal gain when there are plenty of people here that rely on it for their personal gain, not just for you know, the enjoyment of hunting, but the people that make a living off this and and the economics that it brings to the South. I mean, it's affecting more than just the hunter that's going out there and having a lease. When people that have lease properties that lease them are counting on the money for these leases. And there's people that are, you know, the, the industries that sell the guns to them. It's a bigger picture than just, Oh, we, we've got a way to get the ducks up here. It's, it's, it's a lot bigger than I think the people that are doing it think the repercussions. Uh, guys, you know, this, there's been more and more evidence, more and more people are seeing and realizing that the, the flyway, excuse me, the migration has, has, is becoming altered. It's been altered, and it's not getting any better. What has been the reaction at this point when this is presented to the conservation organizations like Ducks Unlimited who have done so much good work over the years, Delta Waterfowl, and even the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service. And I know you've been in contact with them. I've been in contact with them, and we've suggested that, look, why don't we get a very good estimate on exactly what impact this is having? Are they still given the same story about its weather and conditions? It's all about that. It has nothing to do with the amount of unharvested crops that are being flooded. Is there uh, has their response changed at all, or is it still the same? 
Don, I'd like to, before we go, before we go uh, any further, I want to point out that the Feder- Flyway Federation, we kind of get a, uh, a bad name saying that we want all the birds, we want the birds to leave Canada, come to Louisiana or the Gulf Coast, and that's it. I mean, we that is not what we're looking for. We want the birds to start in Canada where they start their season in, in September. We want it to come and everybody to get their fair chance along the way, their 60 days, and it to end down here along the Gulf Coast somewhat toward the end of January, like historically the way that it's been. Well, you pointed out that the money, you know, it's really gotten to be a money grab um, and my, this is my opinion. I don't think Ducks Unlimited or Delta Waterfowl really care how many ducks are harvested. You know, they're they're trying to protect the asset. They want the birds to to uh, migrate back north so they can tell us how many ducks are flying back the following fall. And the best way to do that is to keep them in large concentrations, watch them, get them back to the breeding grounds. And uh, let them, the less they get harvested along the way, the more that have a chance of getting back to the breeding grounds and breeding for the next year. Um, and, you know, historically, Louisiana, Texas, Mississippi, Arkansas, those were the conservation organizations. That was their backbone. That's where their dollars came from. Um, and a large lion's share of it still comes from these areas. But the the dollars are being manipulated and they're not doing, they're not going to the breeding area, the breeding grounds, which always could use some improvement, always can use some attention. Uh, it's being protecting, it's, it's protecting and building projects in the middle part of the country for wintering grounds. There were areas that weren't wintering grounds to begin with. Uh, they're making, they're, and they're putting flooding crops, calling that wintering habitat. Well, as soon as if they were concerned about the ducks, all these programs are subsidized by a lot of them are subsidized by CRP or uh, Delta, duck, mostly Ducks Unlimited. They subsidize these projects, help them put the, the pumps in, the levees in, uh, get some payments from the government for the uh, the land. Keep it. As soon as hunting season's over, the first thing they do is they pull the water off of the property. It allows so as soon as hunting season's over, they dry it up to get it ready for the next year planting. So as soon as they stop harvesting, they uh, care about the well-being of the ducks. Sure gets put on a back burner, and that's when you see the historically these areas uh, starting to show up with more birds. Uh, and last year was, as Jeff said, was one of the wettest times in the central part of the country on record. But yet all this area. The duck production in those areas actually, our duck numbers actually dropped, even though they had so much water. If these, if this property was put into some kind of natural habitat where it wasn't drained after uh, the duck season was over, maybe there would be some nesting value in some of these states that would able to help the blue wing teal. Some of the uh, the mallards, almost all of those states north of Missouri and west of Missouri, uh, have some some portion of a uh, some breeding grounds there. Well, if, you're, if we're spending these millions and millions, I'd be willing to say billions of dollars in that area, and it's just for wintering waterfowl habitat, but yet as soon as duck season's over, they don't care about it anymore. Well, what about, I think the ducks need more more help on their way back 
up north than they do on their way down because on the way back they need invertebrates they need they need resting areas with with food provided for them to actually get back into the breeding grounds in good shape and actually have some breeding grounds to go to that's my take on so what happens to duck hunting in louisiana if this trend continues and does not get reversed for whatever reasons um you know i've already heard people that they're selling their boats they're giving up their leases uh they're going to take up other things they're going to fish they're going to deer hunt and i think the numbers bear that out in our license sales am i right well, from yeah, my point, from 125,000. We went from 125,000 on license sales at one time, and we're down what around 37, 39,000 now. Uh, tell me, we're not going to really Louisiana is not going to really feel the, the impact of that because each one of those each one of those license, you uh, a typical duck hunter in Louisiana, I would say, spends. I wish it was only this way. It spends two thousand dollars a year on either leases, uh, blinds, calls, shells, gear. All this uh, all this money is not – the more we lose of our future generation, if it's 37 now, 39 now, you let us continue to have a couple of more seasons like this, that number is going to drop for another 30 to 40% in the next three or four years. And if you look at the duck numbers, statistically, if they keep declining at the rate they're – declining at we won't have a huntable number of ducks in 10 years if you look at the trends exactly what and you're also, saying is the uh, i mean the federal duck stamp money is eventually going to suffer right now I'm, I'm assuming people are still buying duck stamps because they're leaving louisiana to go hunt these places where there are birds but there's eventually going to be a sign where there's not as much money coming in federally with that duck stamp. Just, I mean, $25 a person adds up when you say there's, a, you know, tens of thousands of people not buying them anymore. So while the numbers eventually will trickle, they're going to start speeding up because there's going to be less people that are going to make the trip to go somewhere else and hunt. And the special excise taxes that's put on the gear that's given back to the states through the Wallet Bro and Dingle Johnson's funds for fishing and hunting, we won't get a share of that. Plus there's Louisiana state duck stamp money that goes in, as well as basic hunting license. If people give up hunting, they won't be purchasing that either. And without the money, you can't do the management. Uh, and, and I don't understand why our State Department of Wildlife and Fisheries is not at an alarmist stage on this. They've got to see this is happening. And no matter what they attribute it to, they've got to take a plan of action to turn to reverse this trend. And if they don't, basically duck hunting will go away from Louisiana and possibly some of the other states. Um, what about legislation? You know, uh, you know, we have elected officials that, that have the ear of people in Washington because it is a federally managed bird. Uh, have any reaction come from our state senators or representatives that are in Congress? We, we've actually had some real good reception from some and others. Uh, we get a closed door on it. Uh, again, this is a money-driven. This is money-driven, and we've had uh, Ducks Unlimited, Delta. They've been around for a long time. They've done a lot of good, and nobody, including myself, wants to believe that they're not for the best interest of ducks across the country and ducks in Louisiana. But if you look at the last 20 years, and I think Jeff will back this up. If you look at the last 20 years. It seems to be going directly against that. Oh, it's totally against it. I mean, 
the projects that they're doing is places to rest to keep you from keep them from migrating, and, and that's where how it's ending up. They're ending up. Uh, there's places up and down this river where there's been projects where you can't hunt them. There's no way of hunting them. They've got flooded crops in them, and you, I mean, so, so it makes you wonder where this money comes from. You know, so it's stopping the ducks. They're not migrating. They're going to a lot of these resting areas along here, up and down these rivers and, and these projects. And you wonder who's behind keeping those ducks in that spot and who's behind not, you know, get them to places where you, where you can hunt them. So, you know, I think if you dug deep enough, you'd find out. I thought this let you use your own imagination. Who would try to stop that? You know, I mean, uh, stop them from getting killed, stop them from getting, you know, moving down the line so we could hunt them. And, you know, to go back to what you were talking about just a second ago about the, the you know, people from Louisiana, you know, quitting buying licenses. This is not just a state of Louisiana problem with that. This hunting's got so bad, even the guys with leases that flood the corn can't kill them. They have a few days they can't. Because you can't kill him if the duck comes out at five o'clock and he doesn't, you know, and he goes back in at three thirty in the morning. So the trend's happening. I just booked four guys in New York to a hunt. Guys dropped their leases. My son-in-law. I, I can just tell you a ton of people that year after year after year are stop hunting and they're taking the money, that money, that two thousand, like you said, putting it all together, and they're going on hunting trips and taking three or four trips going here, yonder, and there where you can kill a few, and they're not buying a, the state stamp around, or, or they're not spending their money on, on it. They're, they're taking it to different clubs and doing it. So this is affecting across the whole fly, every flyway, you know, this way. Has there been any attempts to quantify the, the amount of flooded acres and the impacts it has, or they just don't want to see that? I mean, it seems that, you know, with all of this, uh, evidence being pointed towards it that they would at least take the interest and say, well, look, let's just get a real good estimate on what this impact is having. Or is this what they hope for? Are they achieving it? Was it a goal that was set and it's, it's coming to fruition? Well, why would – here's my biggest complaint about this is why would we have baiting laws, right? We all have baiting laws. And I'll guarantee you, if you boys go out there in your duck hole out there and you drop four extra ears of corn and somebody sees it, you're getting a ticket. Now, what is the difference? Where do the, the feds see this as a difference between leaving that purposely planting corn, rice, millet, whatever, and then putting water on it, flooding it to the ears, and then you shoot ducks over it? What is the difference? I just, I've never got this, you know, never understood this. Actually, it's better like to talk- because you can manipulate it the way you want to. The, uh, and another, you talk about the number of acres. We don't know how many acres are out there, but using the the formula that the federal government provides on duck use days and the amount of puddle ducks in the Mississippi Flyway is around averages around 5.7 million puddle ducks use the Mississippi Flyway. To hold those ducks for 90 days in one particular area, all you need is less than 21,000 acres of flooded corn. That's not an unreal amount of amount of acreage when you're talking about holding a little south of 6 million ducks for 90 days. Uh, so it doesn't take what Jeff was talking about a while ago. You're talking about 90 miles 
Well, you've got a heck of a lot more than 21,000 acres in that 90 miles, not counting the refuges or the, the any other states. Now, this is just one little area, too. This is one little area up along Mississippi. This is not counting what spreads out beyond that, you know, and up and down the flyway anymore. And it's a growing problem. I mean, every year you're getting more and more, and, and we saw that from the, the data released from the transponders. Um, the little bit of data that we've gotten, now a lot of those birds are now stopping in Iowa. And then you start going and yeah. looking up YouTube videos from Iowa and different states, even north of Missouri, and now it's a going, growing trend there. So it's like who can move up even further, just like with the Canada Goose. They started this practice, and they kept moving up states. It was who can stop them yeah. before they get to this guy. Uh-huh. All right, gentlemen, we're going to take a break here. We come back. Uh, I want to get each of you to say what you would tell a concerned individual. You hear from them. I hear from them. Everybody's all over social media uh, about downplaying the, the duck hunting, how bad it's been, and they would like to see something done about it. What would be your suggestion, the best route to take for the average duck hunter who's concerned about his hunting and his future of his children and grandchildren in the southern states? What action should they take? We'll be right back. You're listening to More Outdoors, WWL 105.3 FM HD2. And we'll get back to Ronnie Doucette, Jeff Falls, and Josh Goins. But first, let me bring in Roland Cortez, a professional uh, hunting guide. He's got some comments he'd like to weigh in on. Roland, thanks for calling in this morning. Good morning, Don. How's it going? Oh, good, good, good. Just wish we had a better duck season. How are you doing? I feel your pain, Don. I feel your pain. I've been up to Stuttgart all winter long, hunted all the way up to northeast Arkansas and Oklahoma, Missouri. We never really seen a migration up here. You know, we we killed some ducks now, don't get me wrong, but we never did see a migration uh, kind of before Christmas. We, we've got to push our early ducks up here, and we just never really got any more ducks up here. You know, I mean, I, look, I'm, I'm still in Stuttgart right now. I rode some of the best ground around Stuttgart, and I did not see a good concentration of ducks. Roland, how long has that trend been going on that you've seen? Because you've been hunting up there a long time. Man, I've been up here now for, for in Stuttgart for about 12 years now, guiding up here. And, and uh, I've seen I've seen it downfall, you know, um, every year. You know, I mean, we've had some cold weather up here, nothing for a long period of time, but even when we got the cold weather, we'd never seen any ducks. And actually, we lost ducks when it got cold. Uh, we had uh, a lot of these fields froze for two or three days. We had to bust ice and, and try to keep some open water to try to kill some ducks. And we'd never seen any ducks coming from the north. Now, when the, when the wind would ship out of the south, we'd catch ducks coming up, you know, from Louisiana headed north again. Huh. <laughs> yeah, kind of a reverse migration situation. That, that's right. Yeah, well, up here, you know, that's... Oh. And that's kind of down to what, what we will hope that we hope for every day is a south wind because we know if the south wind blows, we'll catch ducks coming up from Louisiana. Yeah, that's just the opposite of what should be going on. Roland, thank, thanks that's for right. calling. Thanks for listening in. We, we appreciate it. Uh, guys, before we go, in the time we got allotted, I'd like for each of you to tell us what do you think is the best steps for somebody who is like us that is concerned, they see a problem, they recognize the possibility. We don't know to what complete extent, but, I mean, obviously the migration has been altered. There's no, no question in my mind and a lot of other people's. What steps should they take to try to reverse that trend and get involved in this? 
Josh, we'll start with you. I I just want everyone to reach out to Louisiana Wildlife and Fisheries and to their uh, local politicians. You know, we're we're sending letters and making phone calls and setting up meetings every chance that we get. But we need everyone else to do that same thing. Everyone knows somebody. Reach out to them and and try to get the focus on this because if we don't get the focus on this very soon, it's only going to get worse. Wouldn't you agree, Ronnie? Oh, no doubt. Uh, the uh, our politicians, uh, I think that's foremost on the local on the local, state, and federal level. You know, send letters. And there's another thing that I personally feel strongly about is people need to educate themselves as much as they can, do a little bit of research, and find the facts. Uh, if you listen to some of the, the things that are being said out there about the rice production and the weather and coastal erosion, and if you do, some, if you do your, your due diligence and do some research on your own, uh, I think you're going to be surprised at what you come up with that's going to debunk some of the things that you are being told. Jeff? Well, Josh is right. That's the number one thing. It's a money game. And, and if you don't get a hold of your politicians, that's the number one thing you have to do. Um, like like you said, everybody knows somebody. And, uh, you know, there's only one way to stop this, and that is with your local politicians. We can all sit here come up with reasons and and uh and there's it's not just the flooded thing that's a major part of it there's a lot of things you know to me it's all the way from canada it has to start there you know eight bird eight bird limit in canada duck limit in canada where there's all of them are brown you can't tell a hen from a drake has it got to stop the five or something you know that's got to start there i think and uh it's got to start all the way down from from the flooded crops to the chisel plowing and, and uh, causing erosion and not leaving anything for the duck, there's a lot to this that has to be put into play. And the only way to do this is get with your your local DU guys, try to get some meetings set up where they, they can get with your politicians. But the politicians, when you start getting into their wallet and get into their votes, they'll start changing things. Yeah, and right, guys, another thing, Jeff, uh, in Canada – you know, we got to try to help them get their baiting law restored where they can't dump grain up there. That, that's a huge right. issue. Exactly. Yeah, it, it's an uphill battle because, you know, first of all, before we do anything here, no matter what they allow, we got to have the birds here. they got to come here, first of all. And that's the right. disadvantage right. that we're at being on the bottom of the flyway. Yeah. Yep. Well, guys, uh, thank you all for being with us and look forward to getting you on again. And, and thanks for all the time and effort and the concern and passion you all have for waterfowl hunting. I know there's a lot of people that, that share it with you. And, you know, they're looking forward to the Flyway Federation to, to you know, for the, the leadership that they're providing in, in this issue. And hopefully we can continue to reverse this trend and get things back to a more normal migration like we've had in the past and enjoy it. Yes, Jeff, if somebody Thanks, wants Don. to we find appreciate out more about, quite welcome. If somebody wants to find out more about the Flyway Federation, get us the they're on Facebook, but also a website. Flywayfederationusa.com. Easy enough. Thanks, guys. Appreciate the time. Thank you, Don. Thank you. All righty. Thanks, Don.
All right, Ronnie, Jeff, and uh, Josh. Well, Martha, that's about it. We're about ready to wrap up here. Uh, yeah. Are you going sword fishing? Uh, tomorrow, but uh, one last note on that. I just hope that folks are patient enough to stick with duck hunting so that yeah, we do not really. see the complete evacuation of it before we start fixing it. I never dreamed in my wildest dreams when I started duck hunting that I would ever see a day where people get together from Louisiana and leave and go hunt out of state to to find ducks. I mean, it was just such a a sportsman's paradise and a duck hunter's paradise here, and it's a shame that that we are definitely losing that. Yep. Yep, and going sword fishing tomorrow. All right, good luck to you. And I'm going uh, bird hunting. Good luck pheasant hunting. Getting ready to load Smokey up and uh, head up to Kansas. And while I'm there, do a little bit of turkey scouting. And uh, hope folks uh, join y'all at uh, Morton's. That'll be on Monday around lunchtime. Guest host Sarah Giles. Yeah. Bringing her offshore for the first time tomorrow, so I'm sure she'll have lots of stories about that. Very good. All right, uh, thank you for joining us. Hope you tune us again next week. It's more outdoors. WWL 105.3 FM HD2 Radio. Have a great weekend. Maybe watch that football game if you eh, have time. If you want. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.